Well, it's amazing how, as I get to know some of you guys, how few of you know one another. And I'll say that, that's not like an insulting or hard thing. It's a reality. Our, our church isn't small, but our church isn't big by any means. We've got a few hundred people here. We have two services. So I'm always shocked when I see an encounter such as this week when people meet for Operation Christmas Child, or even better yet, when I'm in the community. And people meet and they say, well, you go to CIL, I go to CIL too. Well, I didn't know that. How many have had that experience before? You had that experience before? Yeah, it's like, oh, I didn't know you went there too. So that's pretty amazing. Now, one time uh, I knew some people who went to this very church way before I was even pastor. They had gone to church together for 15 years and didn't even know who each other were. So it's possible to go to the same church for a long time and not even know one another. Now, what happens is this easy excuse because sometimes you're a little bit self-conscious and you think, well, I wish I knew everybody. The truth is we only know about 40 people. Y'all know that, don't you? We can only know about 40 people in any group really well, maybe 60 if you're gregarious. But we think, oh, well, you go to CIL, I go to CIL, we must go to different services, right? You at 9 a.m. or you at 10.45 a.m.? Which one are you? If you go to 9 a.m., you know Aaron's going to tell a bad joke and mispronounce words, and that's my prep time for 10.45, so there is a benefit here. 10.45, everyone gets to sleep in, and, and there's just a little bit of different energy. So it's, it's easy to say, well, you're 9 a.m., you're 10.45 a.m., so we don't know each other. But I've seen people who have sat in the same service for many, many years, and, and they didn't know each other because, like, you people are different over here, right? You people have your thing going on, and then you people kind of have your thing going on in that corner. And I don't know what's going on in the middle here. Uh, you know, you're deciding whether you're going to go to the left or to the right, so, so that can happen too. But then I've also seen several times, I mean, it just happened this month, and I won't name names because I don't want to embarrass people because it shouldn't be embarrassing anyway. But it's people who for years have gone to the same church, our church. They've gone to the same service, and guys, they've sat in the same section all these years and still don't know each other, all right? So it's possible, isn't it? In fact, kind of look around. See who you don't know. No, don't do that. Okay. It's possible to be in close proximity with someone and not even know them. It's possible to be very near someone but not really know who they are. Now, today is a special service for me because this is the best week of the year. We have the best week of the year ahead of us. I love, love, love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is awesome. Okay, yes it is. I mean, it is a cool time. You don't have all the pressure of the gifts, right? All the pressure of the gifts. Your gift is just to eat people's food. What a gift that is. And it's about, it's about fellowship, it's about relationship. Uh, I love Thanksgiving and it's, it's a marking point in my year and in my life. So th- this, sermon, this sermon means something to me today. They, they all mean something, but... Uh, And I was struck by something I read in my Bible study just a few months ago. I'm sure I read this scripture a lot, but I never noticed it before. Now, Chris and Kelly read through verse 6, and we we stopped there for the public reading of scripture. But I I want you to look at verse 9 of John chapter 14. You understand this conversation Jesus was in with his disciples. And Jesus said to him, Have I been among you all this time 
without your knowing me, Philip. I'm sure I've read that scripture before. But when I was reading my Bible, it jumped out of the page. Jesus says, have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? And so that's a question I have. I titled the sermon, it's been a long time. What I mean by that, it's been a long time for some of us that we've been around Jesus and near Jesus and in the place where Jesus is, the church. But we can be near and around Jesus and not really give him the attention to get to know him. Just as you can live next door to someone for years and and if you never reach out and say hello to them, they, they can be really close. But, but you can never know them. So there's some people in this church who were very, very, are very, very close to me. And years and years ago, they were my neighbors, and I didn't reach out to them. They didn't reach out to me. Now we're as close as, as a church, church people and a pastor can be. But looking back in those years, we, we, we didn't have connection. So you can be close to someone in, in, in physical proximity, but not really know them. You can be close to someone even with spending time with them, but when you make assumptions about that other person and then you, you, you decide that you've already categorized that person and they are who you've created them to be in your mind, you don't listen, you don't pay attention, you don't see who they are. Here it was, Jesus asked this question in verse nine to Philip, have I been among you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? And here's one of my great fears. You guys can sit under my preaching and sit under this church's ministry and, 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 and put your time in with the Lord, but really not know who Jesus is. I mean, what if me, I'll make it more personal to me. What if I make my living as a clergy member and I come up here and I give you sermons and then you give me a salary and we organize stuff for you and we live this life along, but then we get in front of Jesus and he says, Hey, depart from me. I never knew you. I'm not saying this to try to produce artificial fear in you today. Because how many of that doesn't work, does it? I'm not here to cause you to question your salvation. That's not what good preaching does. I'm not here to make you spiritually insecure. I think that we all as frail human beings, we all as people who are walking on our journey with God, we rely on the grace of God, and, and the grace of God carries us through dark seasons, through seasons of laziness, the grace of God carries us through rebellion, the grace of God carries us through times of when depression comes over us that's uninvited. So, so I, I'm not here to to cause doubt to come over you. I just think verse nine gives us a good question. And and maybe some of us, we are artificially secure because everyone else thinks we're close to Jesus. But Jesus would say today, have I been among you so long? I don't even know who you are. Who are you? I, I knew you when you were a teenager or I knew you when you first got saved. I don't know this person now. I, I don't know who you are. Job Job is an interesting person. I don't particularly like reading the book of Job. Listen, can I be, there's lots of parts of the Bible I don't necessarily want to read, but God speaks to me anyway, right? Reading the book of Job is hard because no one wants to be Job, do they? Nobody wants to be Job. 
But probably the truth is, and Peter Scazzaro pointed this out, that, that we're all Job. We've all will lose everything. He just happened to lose everything like really, really fast. But really the story of our life is, it's a story of us all losing everything. And it's often over, uh, for, for most people, it's over a long period of many decades and we lose everything and then we go to heaven and we gain everything. And so we shouldn't be scared of the story of Job. And we shouldn't be scared, like, I, I don't want to read Job because I don't want you to do that to me, Lord, because we're all living the story of Job, and the Lord's going to restore all things to us. But at the end of Job's journey, right before things were restored to him, and kind of at the pinnacle of, of, of his wrestling with God, he said something interesting in chapter 42, verse 5. I've heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And that's translated different ways and, 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 and said different ways. You can look it up yourself. It's, it's said well different ways. But th- this feels like us here in the United States of America, where Jesus and, and, and who he is, is is so plentiful in our mind that uh, our entertainment even mocks Jesus. It mocks the church. Uh, um, Jesus is, is something that is culturally accepted with our athletes who, you know, who like to talk about him and give him credit for getting a ball over a goal line. Uh, we, we hear about it. We see the crosses and our musicians who, who, who wear the crosses maybe just for uh, decoration. So Jesus is kind of like around and he's kind of familiar. But there's a point where we say, Lord, I've heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And sometimes that happens through the tough things in life. T- sometimes that happens when the shallowness of life leaves. Guys, grief is hard, and I don't wish it upon any of us. But, I, but I, I'll say this, is that our grief takes away our shallowness. Because sometimes we're just living life, and we're living life kind of in this superficial way, and we're just fitting Jesus into our preferences, and we're fitting Jesus into our schedule, and then all of a sudden we go through some tough times, and we go through some things we didn't expect, and we go through hard and difficult points, and then we say, Lord, I've heard rumors about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I've seen you in my despair. I've seen you in my disappointment. I've seen you in my own selfishness. I've seen you in my pride. So... So on this week as we enter Thanksgiving, this American holiday, this is not part of the church calendar and our church tradition. It's not part of the Bible, but it's a good thing, is it not? It's a good thing that our forefathers, our forefathers gave thanks to God. It's a good thing that the pilgrims relied on God and thanked, thanked God for his provisions who came through Native Americans and God's plan to use all people. God uses all people and all tribes to bless people. And, and we, we think about President Lincoln and his proclamation that made Thanksgiving a national holiday. We as people of faith, and we, we ought to have our spiritual antennas high. We, we ought to be ready. And, and I think Thanksgiving is a good time to, to, to think about your relationship with God. You know, especially after the fourth quarter of the Cowboy game. That's a great time to think about God. It's God's will that you watch the Cowboy game, and it's God's will for them to win. Okay, let me get back in the spirit, right? So I want us to look, we don't have much time planned together here, at John 14, and and if you want to know Jesus and who he really is, not just rumors about him, if Jesus is saying, 
Tom, have I, Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know who I am? Here, here's, here's a couple ways we can organize John 14. First of all, know his plan. Write it down. You have to know his plan. Jesus said this, John 14, 1 through 2, your heart must not be troubled. Is that not a good word for us? There's a lot of reasons to be troubled. We, 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 we can, you can go look for trouble. If you want to be troubled today, just, you know, go to your internet browser and just look at almost any, any aspect of life. And, and, and we're paranoid people, we're scared people, we're fearful people. We're people who, who, who let conspiracy theories occupy our hearts and minds and spirit. We're, we're suspicious people. You know, we never, we, we, we never can believe in the goodness of, of humanity anymore, do we? We're always looking for something. So our hearts are troubled. But Jesus said this, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is part of Jesus' equality with God. In my Father's house are many dwellings place, dwelling place is. If not, I would have told you. Now here's our hope. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Guys, there is an eternity. There is a better place. There is a place that God's preparing. And we don't think about that enough. And you know why we don't think about it enough? It's because by and large, we, we have access to wealth. Wealth that is a blessing of God. Wealth that is a gift of God. But with wealth comes comfort. And with comfort comes self-interest. And when we have self-interest, a lot of times our goal in life is to be as comfortable in this life as we can. Because we think we've got 70 to 100 years, or maybe 100 years, that's the best we're going to get, 110 years. And then it's over. That's how we live our life. And what Jesus calls us to do, John 17, 3 says, eternal life is this, that they may know you. Eternal life starts right now. We're Jesus people. We're redeemed people. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. And the salvation that we've received through Christ continues through eternity. It starts today. It continues through eternity. And so it is that, that this short-sighted way that we live. Some of you are too concerned about your earthly legacy and not concerned about your heavenly legacy. I believe the statues of men need to come down. You know, the statues of men may even be a graven image. It doesn't matter if you have a statue of yourself here in this life if you don't have a crown to put at the feet of Jesus in the next life. See, it's okay to be happy today. It's okay to prosper today. It's okay to be blessed today. But if you're living only for today, you're short-sighted and you don't know the plan of God. The plan of God says, I am going to prepare a place. God's preparing something better. God's preparing something greater. God's preparing something that our minds and our hearts and our eyes can't conceive. And so when we get a little discouraged and we get down, and when Thanksgiving is not this idealistic holiday, because I realize some of you dread this week. In fact, some of you, when I said, oh, this is my favorite week of the year, you're saying this is the worst week of the year for me. But that's okay because we don't have to live in comparison. It's not about living this idealism in this life. It's about getting heaven in our hearts in this life. And when we do that, we're everything God wants. God is preparing a place. But while he is preparing a place, he is unfolding his plan for humanity through us, the church. Oh man, if I was God, I would not have picked us. I wouldn't have picked you. I wouldn't have picked me. 
but he did. He did. And that's why the local church is so important. And that's why Satan is attacking the local church. And Satan wants you to discredit the local church. And and Satan wants you to to disregard the local church. And we in America have, have believed this lie that it's only about this personal relationship with Jesus. Yes, it's personal, but it's also communal. I don't know anyone in the Bible who was a believer who was not involved in the local church. Except the thief on the cross. Everyone brings him up. But I'm talking about people who live past death. That's always a gotcha question. Another thief on the cross. God's preparing the church. Now, now look at this secret plan. The secret plan. It used to be this. This used to be the plan, the plan of sectarianism. And it's still around in some places of like, just, just a couple of us are going to make it in. Just, 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 a, just a handful, just, just a few. Just a few are going to make it in. And, and, and the heart of God... The heart of God who gives a demanding call to holiness. Also, his heart is huge for his plan to redeem the world. The plan of the world, the, the, the big merit, meta-narrative of the world, God's story to redeem the world. And I love Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. Here's a sample of this. Paul wrote, this grace was given to me, to the least of all saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah. And to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages and God who created all things. This is God's multifaceted wisdom. This, this is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known. How? Through the church. God's multifaceted, multifaceted wisdom is, is made known through the church. Hey, I thank God for for parachurch organizations, which is a lot of times people who don't want to work for churches anymore, so they start these organizations outside the church. Then they ask the church for money to support those. I thank God for those. Those have their place. Those have those place. And I've been involved with them. I work for those, all that kind of stuff. But God said, I've chosen the church. I've chosen the church to make known my wisdom. This is verse 11. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplishing the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Now you just go spend some time with that scripture. Just go spend some time, because if I break it down, we'll be here too long. But, but I'm telling you this, is that the, the Lord is unfolding his plan for humanity through the church, through the bringing in of the Gentiles, which is us. He's saying, I'm no longer just for one family. I'm not just for the Jews. You know we love the Jews. We know we love Israel. I'm for every nation, every people. God has a plan for the United States of America. Woohoo! But he also has a plan for North Korea. He also has a plan for Iran. He also has a plan for Congo. He also has a plan for every nation in South America. God has a plan for every person, every tribe, every ethnic group, every people. This is God's plan that's unfolding. And when you begin to see God's plan, it changes the way you treat outsiders because outsiders are no longer outsiders. They're insiders when you realize they need you. Here's the second part, know his love. That's part of the theme of our, 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 our church, to know his love and to share his love. John 14, 3, this is our main text today. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself. Now, this is the incredible part of this. So where I am, you may be also. This is that relational God. How many know we have a God who is in love with us? 
I don't know why, I don't know how, but he wants to be with us. We are relational people. We are people who are connecting and the preparation for different places so God can be with his people. God wants to be with his people and he wants to be with us without sin, sin that separates us so that we're holy and blameless in his sight. And that's why he's the one that does it. Later on, read Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. It will bless you. Now, all of this sounds great, right? A God who wants to redeem the world, a God who wants to love the world, a God who's in love with the world. But in order, in order to know Jesus, and that's what we're trying to do, we're, we're near Jesus, we're close to him. And to know his love and to know his plan, you have to know his claim. Here's the third one. I guess it's, a, it's the last one, isn't it? I thought I had four, but man, three just works out good every week, doesn't it? The rule of three started with Aristotle. We're all using it now. Know his claim. Now, this, 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 is, this is a scripture that, that nurtures us. We, we live in a culture who we're okay with Jesus as long as Jesus is not, is not making an exclusive claim. A Jesus who is equal is okay. A Jesus who is equal with Gandhi or a Jesus who is equal with Muhammad or a Jesus who is equal with Oprah Winfrey and all her wisdom. Um, Not like, oh gosh, I just offended everyone. I mean, I just felt that. I felt the air go out of here, you know? Whatever the case is, poor Oprah. Sorry, Oprah. Sorry, you know? Oprah was at my high school graduation, so I shouldn't say that. Yeah, she was. Her daughter, uh, Ste- her, anyway, St- Stedman's daughter graduated high school with me, uh, Wendy. Wendy Graham was her name. But anyway, let's move on. Everybody's Googling this now. <laughs> See, Oprah will not come up at 1045. I guarantee you that. <laughs> so as long as Jesus is on this equal plane... There's this idea of universalism, like you can get to God any different way. We as Southern Americans, Americans, we're going through Jesus, but you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the tribes in Africa, they can go through a mystical spirit and then someone else can go through Buddha and all these different ways. Well, you know, that, that sounds appealing to us uh, when we love humanity, but Jesus makes a claim. And if you remember the classic argument from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, He said that Jesus makes these very clear claims. And so he either has to be a lunatic, like Jesus was this crazy person, or or he was an outright liar, or the third option, he is Lord and God. But Jesus doesn't give you another option. That's why when we come and we sing these great songs about Jesus, and here in a moment when we go to the Lord's table, we are not just doing a religious practice. We're asking the infusion of the life of the Son of the living God who is supreme and higher than any other, who has a name that's above every name. We are calling upon that for our salvation, for eternity, and for our help in this present time. John 14, 4, this is what Jesus says. You know the way where I'm going. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told them, I'm the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This was verse six. You remember, remember verse nine he asked? He said, how have I been among you so long and you don't know who I am? And some of us like Jesus, but we don't, we, we're not surrendered to Jesus. Jesus is like Santa Claus, right? He's safe, he's easy. 
He's predictable. He can come into our life when we need him to, but we can ignore him when he wants to. No, Jesus is all-consuming. And you've got to take Jesus for who he claimed to be or you're not taking Jesus at all. And that's one sample. But I encourage you, if that's not sufficient for you, read the gospel. Start with the book of Mark. Everyone else says it's John. I like Mark. I'm a rebel, I'm a rebel right? A rebel. It's just like no shave November. I had to rebel by shaving. It looks terrible, people. I understand. My wife already told me. The beard is on the way back, all right? Thought about getting some mascara and coloring the stuff in, you know? But back to rebellion. So we, we, we rebel against who Jesus claimed to be, but read the book of Mark. It's the shortest gospel. It's action-packed. Go to John. Go to Luke. Go to Matthew. Read, and, and, and read it with the filter. Who does Jesus claim to be? You've got to accept Jesus for who he claims to be, none other. Beth, I want you to join me as we move to the conclusion here. Some of the most beautiful words Paul wrote about our Jesus is out of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. That means he's a physicalness of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him. There is the deity of God. In heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth are things in heaven. There at the end of verse 20, that through him, he's reconciling everything to himself. This is the story God is redeeming, not just you, not just individuals. God is redeeming the world. I believe God is redeeming creation itself. That's why God cares about our stewardship of the planet. That's why God cares that people are educated. That's why God cares that there are people who need food in this world today. God cares about that. He cares about our eternity, but our eternity starts today. He cares about injustice. God cares about the social need. God cares about those who have not had the opportunity. God cares, and he, because he cares, let the kingdom of heaven come to earth. Let the kingdom come and the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, where God has a plan. He loves all people and all things, and he is redeeming the world. And this is what our Jesus is about. So we don't just put our time in at church. We don't just come and do what we're supposed to do to appease our conscience or hope we slip into heaven. We are an army gathered by God to do his work, to do his plan, to cause his purposes to come forth. This is why so much is on the line. So much is on the line for you. I want us to stand together.